Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Back in better than ever, Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. My guests on the Shell Penzoil Performance Line got a bunch of them coming up in a minute. Sal Palantonio will join me. He's got Baltimore, Tennessee this week. We'll get some stuff on the Eagles from him and more. We got Diana here. She'll break down the Taysom Hill decision for us. She's going to join us in a few. Ryan Clark will join us in a few. But I'm just seeing this literally in the last one minute. Malika Andrews tweeting, the Raptors will begin the season in Tampa, says Masai Ujiri in a statement. The um, This is not a huge surprise. There will be no NBA action in Toronto or in Canada at any time in the foreseeable future. That, that not until I would imagine we turn some sort of a corner on this pandemic. And that's not a surprise. It wasn't allowed in the Major League Soccer. The Toronto Blue Jays obviously didn't play in Toronto this year. So this is not a huge surprise, but the NBA and the Raptors will not be in Toronto, at least to begin this season. We'll see if that changes around. But Malika is saying they're going to be in Tampa. So the Tampa Raptors. Okay. So we'll see what winds up happening there. Um, But that struck me at least as interesting and worthy of Mention as we continue to look ahead, NBA, obviously, there's been a lot of news, but I want to start with Sal Palantonio of NFL Matchup and absolutely everything else. He's with me on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line, and he's the best in the business. Hello again, Sal Pal. Michael, how are you? I'm, I'm terrific. And I have a bunch of places I want to go with you. The first is I just want to get your initial reaction. When you saw today the news from Shefty and Diana and everybody else that the Saints are going to go with Taysom Hill, not Jameis Winston, what was the first thought you had? Smart move. Uh, Taysom Hill gives them a lot of options on offense, and so far I haven't seen anything from Jameis Winston to suggest that uh, he can be a better option at the quarterback position. Listen, Michael, we're in the dual-threat quarterback era. Mm -hmm. The quarterback has to be able to do more than one thing. I watch Get Up all the time. I hear Ryan Clark talk about it, Dan Orlovsky talk about it. Uh, everybody's talking about it because it's true. We talk about it on the matchup show. If you have a dual threat quarterback, especially this season, because of the way the penalties are being called, you are going to have success offensively. I agree with that. The question is, does Taysom Hill qualify? We know he can run. The question is, can he throw the ball well enough to actually be a threat doing that? And I guess we're going to find out. And Sean Payton obviously knows way the heck better than I would know. So we'll see what happens on Sunday. Okay, let me go to the stuff I really meant to have you here for. Because anyone who knows you and anyone who follows you immediately associates you with the Eagles. And it has been such a crazy season for them and so disappointing in so many ways. Just give me a little bit of insight into into what's happening there with Wentz, with the coach Doug Peterson. Where do you see them right now, still first in the division going into Cleveland Sunday? Well, I started covering the Philadelphia Eagles for the Philadelphia Inquirer in 1993, and I've covered them since 1995 for ESPN. This is the worst passing offense that I've ever seen the Philadelphia Eagles have. Michael, they're dysfunctional. They're poorly designed. And it's, uh, it's poor execution. When you go 0 for 9, the first team to have an 0 for on third down against the New York Giants, who are hardly world beaters on defense, you're dysfunctional in the passing game. And that is so, so difficult to do. It's a layup to have a good passing game in the National Football League. They're not calling offensive holding. Offensive holding calls are down 50%. Defensive pass interference calls are way, way up. As a result, we have a record number of touchdowns, a record number of points, a record number of passing touchdowns. It's set up for you to be able to throw the football in the NFL 
in the 2020 pandemic season, and the Eagles are a dysfunctional passing game. So what's the problem? One bad design. What I see, especially from Doug Peterson, is that Carson Wentz is not getting guys schemed open, and he needs guys schemed open. Secondly, Carson Wentz is just leaving a lot of plays out on the field. He's not seeing the field. He's not seeing open receivers. He's holding on to the ball too too long. And as you know, because I've seen it on your show on GetUp, he has the second-worst completion percentage against open receivers in the NFL, according to next-gen stats. He's just been playing inaccurate. Is there reason to believe that the organization has lost faith in him? His, his contract suggests he's going to be there. But do you have reason to believe that the people who matter there have lost faith and lost belief that he is their quarterback long-term? Not yet, but he's on the clock. Hmm. Okay, that is extremely well said. Sal Antonio with me here on ESPN Radio on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line. Okay, you've got Titans-Ravens this weekend, um, and I find that a fascinating game. This is where it all went wrong for Lamar. Lamar Jackson had one of the great seasons anyone has ever had last year, running it and throwing it, and is a unanimous MVP, and they go flying into the playoffs at 14-2 and two, and then smash. They lose to Tennessee. They look bad doing it, and frankly, it hasn't been the same since. What are you looking at as we go into this game on Sunday? Right. I covered that game. I remember it well. I remember the silence at MNC Bank Stadium after the game. I remember interviewing Derrick Henry after he rolled up 195 yards rushing on the field in that game. We were all shocked by how poor the offense for the Ravens was. And and basically, it came down to this. Once Mark Ingram was injured, they didn't have the option to run the ball on offense that they needed. And their running game suffered as a result. Lamar Jackson dropped back to pass 63 times in that game. So bottom line is this. You can run on the Titans. If you don't run the ball successfully on the Titans, the Titans know how to shut down Lamar Jackson. And that, to me, is the essence of this football game. If the Ravens run the ball successfully, they will be successful in this game. If they do not, then they will get behind again, and then they will get just a face mask full of Derrick Henry all football game long, and that's a disaster for them. Henry's been really good again this season, obviously. But what has surprised me a little bit about Tennessee, the defense is is not good, and the special teams have been a disaster. As you have looked at that more closely, what what has gone wrong there? I mean, the special teams are, are it killed them a week ago Thursday against Indianapolis, and the defense has been bad. What's been the problem? Well, I think it's alignment and assignment football, and Mike Vrabel has talked about that. You know, they just have not been disciplined defensively. Obviously, you can see the results. They haven't been disciplined on special teams. They're just not getting it done. Uh, You know, the production is not there. They're making way too many mistakes uh, in special teams, and that has absolutely killed them. But I think in, in terms of the defense, they're just not playing good, solid, disciplined alignment assignment defense, which, of course, is the calling card of a Vrabel, Belichick, uh, you know, come out in New England. That's just what they do. They've never had pro bowlers defensively up and down the line or, or, or on, def- on defensive line, linebacker, or in the secondary. It's all about guys doing their job. That's the mantra that came out of New England, and that's what's made Vrabel successful in Nashville. 
Sal Palantonio with me here for another moment. And one more I wanted to get to you, and that's Monday night. We got a really good one with the Rams and the Buccaneers. I said yesterday I I could easily see this being a preview of the NFC Championship game, and I know that you did a preview for the NFL matchup show. What did we find? Well, the bottom line is this. You know, uh, Jerome Boger is the referee. You know, I like to dig deep on what goes on with the referee assignments. Hmm. We all know it's the first all-black referee assignment in NFL history, and congratulations to them. But look at what Jerome Boger calls. What's the tendency of him as a referee? He's got 16 offensive holding calls. That's 10th in the league. That means he doesn't call a lot of offensive holding. That means he lets the offense play. And in this particular game, that's important for Tom Brady. He also has seven roughing the passer calls, Mike. That's third in the NFL. So he is absolutely going to be on watch when Aaron Donald, who has yet to sack Tom Brady, and the Rams start dialing up those blitzes and all the stunts, he's going to let the holding go, but don't touch TB12. This is a game set up for Tom Brady to have success because of the way the game will be officiated. That is outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. Sal, enjoy it this weekend. It's great to talk to you again. I'll see you soon, my friend. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Stay healthy, Michael. You too. The great Sal Palantonio. As I used to jokingly say, a nice Jewish kid from Queens. He is from, he is from Queens. Um, and and that's, I really like, you know, those are the things. That's the kind of thing I would like to do more of on the show is to find those little things. Sneaky big news is what we call it on TV in the mornings, and finding those sorts of things. Jerome Boger, his teams, his his officiating crew, his style, they don't call holding, and they do call roughing the passer. So that bodes well for Brady, and it bodes well for Tampa in what is a very big game against the Rams on Monday night. Greeny with you, presented by Progressive Insurance. Of course, the really big story of the day, the New Orleans Saints are going to go with Taysom Hill as their starting quarterback this weekend against Atlanta, not with Jameis Winston. And I open the show by saying this. I would have known this if I had listened to Shefty yesterday and I had listened to Diana Rossini this morning. She was, without saying it, she was trying to tell us all this morning that this was the case on Get Up, and she joins me now here on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line. Diana, we just wouldn't listen, and I guess there's a part of us that just didn't want to believe it because it just seems, I don't want to say unfathomable, but it really does surprise me that you have Jameis Winston there and they're going with Taysom Hill. Take me through the thinking. Yeah, good afternoon, Greeny. First of all, it's a tough act to follow Sal Pal. He's an incredible, and, and I'm with you on those little nuggets because mm-hmm. those things are, are conversations that are had in meetings with teams. Uh, you know, we're talking about Sean Payton here in a second. He is the king of finding those little nuggets that, whether it's research, research packs or his assistant, somebody's gathering that type of information for him every single week. I've had conversations with him for years about it. Uh, often I'm like, man, you're like the hembo of the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it really does make a difference. And, and you know, transitioning into this Saints game against the Falcons, I think you use the word surprise and shock, and, and I, a lot of people do. To be honest with you, I did um, earlier in the week when I just – sort of was reading the tea leaves of the way the season has gone, the way free agency went when he signed Jameis and knowing his uh, commitment and support of Taysom Hill and the money they gave him. It just made more sense to do this hybrid thing. Um, And the fact that he's now fully committed to going with Taysom Hill 
just tells me that this is the time that they want to see if he can be the next starting quarterback of the New Orleans Saints if Drew Brees were to hang it up at the end of this season, depending on how this works out. So I think the shock is most of us thought it would go hybrid, but now that he's going with Taysom after really telling us how great he is all these years, and I think everyone is still kind of like, eh, we got to see it. Well, after taking first-team reps this whole week, we're going to see a true starting quarterback in Taysom Hill. And so, but to me, it's one thing to want to see if he can become your starting quarterback long-term. But the time to do that, it seems to me, is not in the middle of November in a season in which you are, you know, jam-packed at the top of your division and the top of the conference and everybody's bunched up. I mean, they can't afford a loss. So he has to believe, it's not only that he wants to see this, he has to believe that this gives them the best chance to win too, right? Oh, he's seeing way more than what any of us are seeing, right? So he's around these guys all day long at practice, in meeting rooms. Uh, you know, and, and one thing when you're around Taysom and you have conversations with him, he is such a natural leader. He's so respected by everybody. Because um, I've often had conversations with the team about, you know, is Taysom a little bit of the teacher's pet? Like, you know, he reminds me of the, 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 the guy on the team that the coach likes so much that he, it winds up making you not like him because he's getting all this special treatment. And that's so not the case there. Um, but the, the belief and confidence that Sean Payton has in Taysom Hill is evident. But, Mike, there, there's a little ego involved here with Sean Payton. There always is. He loves a challenge. And he wants, no matter, you know, he'll, he'll deny it to the, to the media in the postgame or even in our pregame interview that we're going to be doing with him on, on Sunday morning before, uh, before kickoff, he'll deny that this has anything to do with him. But he just revels in in the idea of being able to be an offensive genius and and take a player that he believes in and and, and make some magic here against the Falcons who, you know, it doesn't look like a big game on paper in terms of the matchup. um, But the Saints hate them. They absolutely hate them. Mm -hmm. And and that's consistent no matter who's the quarterback. So um, this is, this has become without a doubt the game of the weekend to me. Yeah, it becomes the most interesting game to watch because let's see if he can do it because people will call him a dual threat and I will say he's got to prove he's a dual threat because we haven't seen his ability to beat you throwing the ball. Usually we think of a dual threat as a quarterback who can run. In this case, we have to figure out if he's a runner who can actually pass and I guess we will find out on Sunday. Diana, enjoy it. Thank you. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. See you next week. All right. It's Diana Rossini with me here on ESPN Radio as we look forward to that one a lot. Uh, Green A is presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs for protection on the road and on the water. See how much you can save in as little as three minutes at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and Progressive.com. All right. Next. Life is a series of choices. Who you got? Make a decision. Say it! Say it! All right. I'll say it. Who you got? Who you got here on ESPN Radio features the one and only hashtag Bubba, who just gives me these binary questions. He will give me the opportunity to pick one side or another, and today it's my understanding we're going to pick a couple of this weekend's games. Is that right, hashtag Bubba? That is correct. We're going to do some games against the spread, and who you got is brought to you by Granger. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, and these odds are courtesy of Caesars Sportsbook by William Hill. We'll start in reverse order. Chiefs at Raiders. Raiders are looking for a sweep of the Chiefs, but it's Kansas City minus eight. Who you got? It's a big number, and I would jump all over the Raiders if it weren't for this COVID business. So for those of you who are not following me, 
I, I believe 10 or 11 of their defensive players, maybe someone can give me my ear which it was. We had it this morning. I think it's either 10 of their starting 11 or 11 of their of, of their defensive players are on the COVID list. They're there for contact tracing purposes. So the expectation is they'll be cleared Sunday morning and they will play. But I can't help but believe... It is 11 defensive players. Thank you. So I can't help but believe that that's going to be a factor, right? If they're not able to practice on the field to get ready to play against this offense. So for that reason and that reason alone, I will give the points, but I will do so hesitantly because I really like the Raiders. I like everything I'm seeing from them. I think Carr will do his best to go toe-to-toe with Mahomes. I would have, If it were not for this other side of it, the COVID side of it, I would have taken the Chiefs to win this game by a field goal, and I would have jumped all over taking the Raiders with the points. But because of the COVID factor, and I guess the possibility that some of them don't play, I will take the Chiefs, and I will give the points. Hashtag Bubba, what's next? All right, we got Packers, Colts, and it's on ESPN Radio. This is a good one. Two first-place teams, but we got Indianapolis minus one and a half. Who you got here? I've got the Colts, and I said it to you earlier, and I'll say it again. Everyone is jumping back on the bandwagon of the Green Bay Packers because they saw them beat the 39ers on a Thursday night and then barely hold off Jacksonville last week. Not impressed. Not impressed. That's a team with too many holes. The Colts are going to run the ball down their throat. The Colts want to run it and play really good defense and force Aaron Rodgers to beat you by throwing touchdowns every time he touches the ball. And Devontae Adams didn't practice earlier this week, and I don't know if he's 100% for sure, and they tend to be very conservative with injuries. So for every reason and more, I love the Colts in this game. A point and a half is no problem. I'm surprised, actually. I would have thought Green Bay would be favored in this game because I'm not totally buying Indy either. But I at home... And I think they are exactly the wrong team for Green Bay at the wrong time. I will take the Colts, and I will give the point and a half. Hashtag Bubba, what's next? All right, how about Titans-Ravens? The Ravens have lost two over their last three games, but Baltimore, five-and-a-half-point favorites. Who you got? All right, so as we just discussed with Sal, this is where it all went wrong for Lamar Jackson last year in the playoffs. This game, in this building, they get Tennessee come in. Lamar Jackson came in flying, flying. 14-2, unanimous MVP, enormous throwing numbers, unprecedented rushing numbers. And they got smacked in that game, and they've never been the same since. But these aren't the same Titans. Their defense stinks, and the special teams are a joke. And people forget sometimes it's a third of the game. So the way you beat the Ravens is by not beating yourself. It's by being really smart, and it's by getting in front. And I don't think their defense can do it. So I like the Ravens here for revenge. I like Baltimore to win, and I will take them to cover. I'll take Baltimore minus the five and a half. Hashtag Bubba time for one more. All right, let's do Falcons Saints, the big game everyone's talking about. Taysom Hill obviously starting at quarterback, and right now New Orleans is a three and a half point favorite. So who you got in this one? I feel like that moved again, by the way. It was seven and a half. And then uh, before the Breeze injury, and then it went to four and a half. Now it's three and a half. See, I just have no feel for what this is going to be with Taysom Hill. But here's what I will do. If there's someone I'm willing to bet on, it's Sean Payton. And I cannot believe, as much as I understand ego plays into this, and Mark Schlereth always said to me, if you think the egos are big in the locker room, you should see how big they are upstairs. But I cannot believe that with as much as is on the line for his team in every game the rest of this regular season, that he would do this if he wasn't convinced it was their best shot to win. And they are obviously the better team. So I will take the Saints 
and I will give the three and a half behind Taysom Hill. Hashtag Bubba, that's who you got. That is who you got brought to you by Granger. With supplies and solutions for every industry, Granger is always there to help. Call clickgranger.com slash safety or just stop by. Well done. You know, hashtag Bubba, I'll say this. Usually uh, I'm in my house, and when I'm in my house, I don't see you when we have these conversations. And now here I am at the seaport, and I do see you, and I will tell you, I think it's better when I don't. Candidly, I, you're, I'm sorry. I, what? I don't mean that personally. I mean it's not just you. There's just something about leaving it to the imagination that I think is nice. Yeah, the magic of radio. That's that's the magic of the medium. Greeny, the podcast. It's demon time on Prize Picks, where you can now win up to 100 times your money. That's right, 100, 100 times, times your money. money. With as little as four correct picks, you can turn $10 into $1,000. Demons and goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at prize picks. Squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. And as always, prize picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. They even offer injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stats types are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app go to prizepicks.com slash greenberg and use code greenberg for a first deposit match up to 100 that's prizepicks.com slash greenberg code greenberg for a first deposit match up to 100 prize picks pick more pick less it's that easy passion drive and patience what brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has got you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you'll always find exactly what you're looking for and with ebay guaranteed fit your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to turn your car into the mvp and bring home that win keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply what an interesting day let me bring ryan clark in here to talk about all of it with me here as we go through some of these football stories rc the news broke just after we finished up the tv show this morning that it will be Taysom hill not Jameis winston and look i didn't think this was going to happen bart scott didn't think it was going to happen i don't think you thought it was going to happen what does it mean the fact that they're not giving the ball to Jameis winston in this case let's look at it from his side first what does it mean for Jameis winston that he's not getting this shot i think it's bad news for Jameis winston in the sense that this was his opportunity um, and obviously, listen, it, it could still happen for him. He can get a chance after this game. I think this feels like, you know, something that was going on with Taysom Hill that he was going to get this chance. I felt like Sean Payton has been talking himself into giving Taysom Hill this chance. I think when you give him the type of contract you give him in the offseason, it pushes you closer to giving him this opportunity. And I believe this is kind of his one shot. And if it works, it works out. And if not, you know, I think Jameis will get to play. So that's not totally out of the question. But for Jameis to not have established himself and shown that he deserves to be the quarterback, that he's the best option for this team by far, I think just from the, a perception standpoint, that's bad for him, right? This is a guy who's number one overall pick, a starter for five years in this league, and now all of a sudden you don't get the first chance at being a quarterback over a guy who's thrown less passes than you've thrown in some quarters in the NFL. And so for me, 
uh, if you're Jameis, you got to keep doing the work, but you also have to understand the position that you are now in. You thought you were making this choice because it gave you the best opportunity to be the next quarterback of the New Orleans Saints or show that you can be a quarterback somewhere else and not getting that chance is a huge deal. I agree. I, I think this is a blow for him and, and, and this opportunity where maybe he could have gotten the torch from Drew Brees. And you're right, maybe he still can if this doesn't go well, you know, because people keep calling Taysom Hill a dual threat. And I, I don't know that that's true. Like Josh Allen is a dual threat. Lamar Jackson is a dual threat. I don't know that Taysom Hill throws the ball well enough to be a dual threat. He, he, he runs it, but that's only one threat. It's a single threat. Can he throw the ball well enough, you think, to win an NFL football game? You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've never seen a Taysom Hill pass in the very few that he's, he's thrown and been like, oh, my goodness, that was so accurate. That was so on time. That was so on point. Uh, I even remember him getting some people, you know, had opportunity to hit a deep pass, and he threw it short, and the guy gets tackled. And I was like, well, I expected him to have a stronger arm than that. And maybe he was aiming it because the guy was so open. And so, you know, in situations like that, I don't know if Taysom Hill can throw that well. I don't know if Taysom Hill is a Lamar Jackson-level uh, quarterback from a throwing standpoint. Um, I know he can run the football that way. I know he can be effective in that, and I'm pretty sure, you know, offensively that's more of what they, they'll look like, more Baltimore Ravens run first, zone read type action, play action off of that. And so maybe that'll be enough in order for this team to be able to move the ball against the Atlanta Falcons. But I haven't seen anything from Taysom Hill, and obviously you haven't gotten a large sample size of him throwing the football, but I haven't seen anything from him that says he's going to be a true dual threat at the position. Greeny and RC with you on ESPN Radio. Okay, I opened the show this morning, uh, excuse me, this afternoon here by quoting you. And I said, you said that last night we saw Super Bowl Russ instead of MVP Russ. Tell everyone what that means and in, the, in the small picture and in the big picture, what do you think it might mean for the Seahawks? Well, what it means in the small picture is Russ didn't seem to me like he was trying to win the MVP. He seemed to me like he was trying to win the game. And I know sometimes those things look alike, right? When we're watching Russell Wilson in a shootout and he has to score those points and he has to generate those big plays, you say, you know what? Russ is doing everything to carry his team. But then when you watch him against the Los Angeles Rams and there's a wheel route in the end zone that he eventually throws to get picked off, but there's 20 yards of grass in front of him where he could have gotten that, you say to yourself, that's a bad decision by Russ. Or you think of the interception to Isaiah Simmons, you say late in the game, that's a bad decision by Russ. And we didn't see those things last night. We saw Russell Wilson uh, being, being smart enough and being willing to take a five-yard run outside the pocket to only create when it was there and try to push the ball down the football field, to take the smart safe throws instead of forcing the ball into bad areas. And really, if you look at the game, there were two drops by D.K. Metcalf that actually could have added to his stat line. And so in turn, by winning the game, by playing mistake-free football, it ended up looking like MVP football. But I just thought Russell saying, you know what, we're going to make the required plays. We're going to run this offense through our offensive line, through our running backs. I'm going to do my job well enough to win. And I think that's different. I think that puts this team in a different place, in a different spot and gives them a better opportunity to win huge games in the playoffs. Yep. If they play any defense at all, I think they have a chance. Okay, one more thing for you, RC. I need your help because I, I sat there and I watched you. I have so many friends now 
that are LSU players, right? I got between you and Booger and Marcus. I sat there and watched the three of you guys go through this incredible year last year, and, and your team went all the way to win a championship. So I, I went to Northwestern, as you know. We, we don't live like this. I, I don't feel this nervous all the time. So we have this monster game tomorrow against Wisconsin. And I was telling uh, someone earlier today, I'm so nervous. I was telling Pollock that I, I don't even know what to do with myself. I woke up in the middle of the night, Sunday night, Nervous. I'm a 53-year-old man with a career and a family, and I woke up in the middle of the night five days before the game, unable to sleep. So t- tell me what you did for these games. When you're in your house last year and they were winning and it was working and they were like, what the, the Alabama game, all those games, what do you do when your team is playing? Because I, I suffer with this so much and I need some help. You know what? Honestly, Greeny, I just kind of sit there. Uh, I, I'm not actually one of those fans who, who, who live it while it's happening. Uh, in my house, you know, I just kind of sit there and watch, man, and I enjoy it. And, and here's what I always say, Greeny, and, and maybe, you know, you could take this with you and use it. I'm always extremely happy when they win. I'm never upset when they lose. And the reason why is this. I know that they're 18 to 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds, and that they're doing their absolute best to win games. And when they lose them, they don't do it on purpose. When they lose them, it's no offense to me. It's just that, you know what, the other team played better. So I don't allow those games to affect me negatively at all. And in that way, you can have a pure joy in watching your team play, man, and watching your team win. So you got to get rid of those jitters, Greeny, those 53-year-old wake-you-up-on-Sunday-night jitters, because pretty soon you're going to have to wake up to do other things in the middle of the night. So get <laughs> your right. rest, man. Now, believe me, I've already had to do that. But, but, but here's the thing. <laughs> What you're saying is utter nonsense. I mean, that's a letter. It's a level of emotional maturity that I can't even fathom. <laughs> the idea that I, that that if they lose, I'll just think to and I don't get mad at them when they lose. But the idea that I'll just say, oh well, they did the best they could, and the other team was better today. I I, I, I don't even know what that means. I, I don't know how in the world a greedy, person could feel greedy, that way. You have to be greedy. You have to be able to do that. You have kids, bro. Yeah. Can you imagine allowing your your emotion? to be tied to the actions of teenagers and uh, 20-something-year-olds, you can't do it. They'll let you down every time, Green. That's probably, that's <laughs> probably true. That way. <laughs> have a great weekend, Ryan. Thank you. We'll see you Monday. My man, have a good one. That's Ryan Clark. He's so good. And, and look, that is a level of emotional maturity I don't have. I will tell you, let me take a, a short break on this thought, and I will come back and I will explain to you all of the neuroses, all of the... Uh, particularly how incredibly superstitious I am, how I came by it honestly. I'll tell you that story in a moment. Greeny, the podcast. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antsgate presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Death is the only punishment here. Now streaming, FX's Shogun. My master asks, what do you seek here? To vanquish our common enemies. Based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. The epic saga of war, passion, and power. Let it come. FX's Shogun. Now streaming. 
on Hulu. Now, for me, the biggest game, look, for me, the NFL season has been over since the first half of the first game. The team I root for, I, I did not have to watch past halftime of week one to realize I was rooting for the worst team in the NFL. Maybe the worst team I've ever seen. I'm 53 years old. I'm a Jet fan my whole life. I've seen a lot of bad football. That's by far the worst team I've ever seen. So my season has been over on that front. And then a little miracle befell me. The Big Ten came back. The Big Ten had gone away. August 11th, we were going to have no Big Ten football. Then all of a sudden, it came back. And my beloved Northwestern Wildcats, my alma mater, my, the, the, my, my favorite group of people in the entire world, they came out firing. And they crushed Maryland. And then they go in Iowa and they spot Iowa two touchdowns at the very beginning of the game, just hand them 14 points and still come back and win. And then they beat Nebraska in a close game. And then last week they go to Purdue and they win there and now they get Wisconsin. Everyone says Wisconsin is the best team in the Big Ten West. And look, they've got all the tradition and all the history. You've got to give them respect. If you, want to, if you want to take that from them, you have to take it from them. And so now they come into our place tomorrow and they play this game. We play this game. And I'm, I'm, I can't even fathom how nervous I am. And I will explain to you where it comes from for me. Because earlier on this show, David Pollack said, you know, he finds it funny. These players are so funny. Pollack and Ryan Clark, you know, with the, it's adorable how impactful the players think they are in the outcome of these games. When in reality, we all know it's obviously us as the fans doing all of the right things superstition-wise that determines the outcome. There's no way in the world, if you are the kind of fan that I am, that you watch a football game and if things are going well, that you let anybody move, right? How many times during a football game will you say, no, 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 it's working. It's working. You stay where you are. You don't go anywhere. You're not allowed to leave the room. You can't get food. You can't get a drink. You can't go to the bathroom. You're not doing anything. I don't care how uncomfortable you are. If it's going well, you're staying where you are. And if it starts going badly, then you can leave and you're not coming back. And these are, these are hard, fast rules. I believe in these superstitions with all of my soul. I don't even mean that kiddingly. And I'll tell you why I come by it honestly. It started for me, it all started for me in my childhood. My love of sports comes primarily from my parents. And my dad was the most ludicrously superstitious fan you ever met. So I'll give you two quick stories to finish up the week. We'll finish the week up with a smile. My dad would have loved me telling these stories. If you think I'm making fun of him, then you should know he would have loved it. So the first of them is the Jets make the playoffs in January of 19. 83, uh, no, 82, January, no, no, January of 83, 83, eight, eight, the, the, the 81 season is the year they lose to Buffalo, uh, and then and the uh, January of 83 is the end of the 82 season, that's the strike-shortened season, so they only play nine games, so the playoffs are longer, they're elongated, so the Jets, they, in the open, opening round of the playoffs, they play Cincinnati, and they kill them, Freeman McNeil set the rushing record for most yards in a playoff game. And there was a restaurant in New York City, still there, called Pete's Tavern on Irving Place. My family went for dinner there that night to celebrate this win. I ordered spaghetti with the sausages. Instead of meatballs, it comes with sausages. I don't know if they still make it. This is, you know, 35 years ago. But I, we go there. My father decided that since that was working, since we went there and it worked, we should eat there every night. So we ate there every night that week. And then they went to L.A. on Sunday to play the Raiders. This is when the Raiders are playing in Los Angeles. And Lance Mell intercepts Jim Plunkett twice in the fourth quarter, and the Jets win that game. So my dad says, well, we're going back to Pete's Tavern. And we ate there every single night for two weeks until they finally lost to Miami in the A.J. Dewey game. We don't need to talk about it. But that's where I get this from. Fast forward. 
I'm in college. In 1986, the Jets make the playoffs. I'm home from college. The Jets are, I'm watching, the Jets are playing Cleveland in a playoff game. The Jets have a 10-point lead with four minutes left, and my father gets on the phone, gets on the phone with the airlines to book flights. He's going to fly to Denver next Sunday. He's going to fly me from Chicago to Denver next Sunday so that we can go see the Jets play in the AFC Championship game against the Broncos. And do you know what happened next? While he's on the phone, Mark Gastineau with the worst roughing the passer penalty of all time. Not that it was a bad call. It was the worst penalty you've ever seen. It was the most obvious roughing the passer you've ever seen in your entire life. And the next thing you know, a 10-point lead with four minutes left turns into double overtime and they lose. And my father never forgave himself for having called before the game was over. And we were convinced, I remain convinced, that if we had not made that phone call to the airline, the Jets would have won that game. By the way, the final weekend was John, the, the following weekend was John Elway, the drive. That was what the, the, the Browns wound up in Denver. And they wound up, uh, the, the, that was the game that Elway wins the legendary drive, known as the drive, to beat the Browns. So I come by this superstition honestly. So if you need me tomorrow afternoon, the game's on ABC, Northwestern, and, and Wisconsin, you will not be able to reach me during that time. I will be very busy not letting anybody move outside of their synchronized patterns. And I will just say, go Cats. Have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy all the football. It should be terrific. I'll see you back in Better Than Ever Monday. Greeny on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can check out Greeny live weekdays at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN+. Plus. Also, don't miss Greeny on Get Up, weekday mornings at 8 Eastern on ESPN. This is Greeny, the podcast.